Welcome to Podcast for Leaderful Schools, coming to you almost live from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, actually coming to you almost live from the Galileo Institute in Pauley Hall at Oakland University. This is uh, Bob Maxfield, and I'm joined today by my always wonderful co-host, Dr. Suzanne Klein. Sue, how are you today as we begin this new year? I am doing beautifully uh, with an exciting school year starting to unfold as our students return. I can look out the window and see them walking back and forth to class, as well as the baseball team out on the field practicing a bit. So there's lots going on. And it's a beautiful fall day here in Michigan. So we're delighted that you could, that our listeners are with us. Last year, we conducted a series of interviews focusing on lessons learned during the pandemic and the need to get back to the business of educating students in our schools. Uh, and if you were a listener, you, we began that series with today's guest. Uh, and we continue with a number of other folks. This year, we're going to get we're going to look more closely at what's worth teaching, what's worth learning, rather, and how we need to teach and promote learning so that we can live up to the promise of American public education, so that we can make sure that all the adults and children in our schools are fulfilled and achieve what they set out to achieve in the first place. So today's guest is Will Richardson. Uh, Will is co-founder of the uh, Big Questions Institute. He's an old friend of ours. We, if you go back in our podcast files, I think you'll, you'll find about three different interviews with him. We were privileged at least two different times that I recall to have Will here at, at Oakland as a speaker. So Will, welcome. We are so thrilled to have you here again. Well, thanks so much for having me back. It's always nice when I get the re-invite. So <laughs> that's right. That's a, that's a tribute. Um, so tell us a little bit about the last year with the big questions as to last year was a year or so new. You've now had a year under your belt. Uh, before we went on the air, we were talking about how widely we're distributing some of your stuff. But what, is, what have been some of the highlights in the last year? Well, first, appreciate all your support. Thanks very much for that. So uh, we're almost at three years since Homa Tavangar and I uh, founded the Big Questions Institute. And obviously, uh, we founded it right before the pandemic hit. So that was a, a pretty interesting first six months. I don't know if they actually count uh, as a business, but we actually um, did a lot of work uh, during the pandemic with international schools primarily. And um, and have done some now are, are doing, beginning to do some more face-to-face -face work again with schools all over the world. Uh, we've actually had a number of public schools now that have reached out. We're doing a lot of strategic design with them, um, trying to think about where they want to go into the future. And I think really that's become the emphasis of our work is helping schools, helping teams and communities build capacity to engage in conversations around different, not, not just better. Um, and that uh, requires some real contexts about um, and some real truth telling about the state of schools today and the conditions that they're operating under, which many of them are obviously still challenging. Um, but it also uh, requires to begin to think about what the potential opportunities are for students and teachers and, and again, learners in communities in a world where we continue to see an explosion of ways that we can connect, uh, we can create. Uh, and access teachers and information um, in in continuing kind of interesting and fascinating ways. So um, it still is this kind of liminal moment we feel for schools. We're we're moving from one kind of way of thinking about learning and education to another. We're not exactly sure what that looks like, but we're pretty convinced that it it does look uh, very very different for schools, for the value of schools, and for what we do in schools with kids. 
Your um, newsletter is something that we read uh, carefully here at the Galileo Institute and share it with our students. And in your message to educators early last month, you got to the theme that you just mentioned about just not going back and um, doing things a little bit better, but doing things differently as you introduce the notion of let's get back to learning versus let's get back to air quotes school. And you did this by scanning back to school advertisements and other information, and then thinking about those items and how important they were. Instead, you wondered what a back to learning list would look like, which kind of captivated my thinking. And I spent some time thinking about that. Elaborate for our listeners what you had on your mind as you were thinking about this distinction between school versus learning. Well, I think I'm always looking for a turn of the phrase, right, for a shift in the ways of, that we talk about schools and education traditionally. Um, and, and I think that that's a big one. Um, you know, another turn is this idea that we had a lot of learning loss because of remote schooling. Um, and it's not remote learning, it's remote schooling that we went through. Um, I really believe that kids never stopped learning. Um, it wasn't necessarily learning loss, but it was schooling loss. And similarly, it really is about not going back to school, but going back to creating environments where learning happens really deeply. And to do that, um, you know, the first step is you have to have some coherence as to how you define what learning is and how it happens and what the conditions are that are required for that. And uh, the, the honest truth is that a lot of schools are still incoherent about that. They say things that they believe contribute to really deep and powerful learning, but then they do things that pretty obviously stand in the way of deep and powerful learning. And it's that, it's that disconnect and that dissonance, I think, that most educators know is there, but that they don't really want to get to. And now I think it's more important than ever that they really begin to interrogate that. So we talked a little bit about, you know, um, going through some some a process to figure that out. How do you define learning? Is there coherence? That's number one. If you don't have a coherent, shared, lived definition of learning, you need that. Um, otherwise, kids are in incoherence. They're going from classroom to classroom, having to figure out what every teacher means when they say to learn something. Um, and then secondly, to really think hard about what it is that contributes to learning um, when we're doing it ourselves. I, I will say that, um, and we may have talked about this last year, but the, the most profound intensive learning that I experienced during the pandemic was facilitating a weekly call with international school heads from around the world every Thursday morning at eight in the morning. From March, 2020, all the way through up until the summer this year, uh, where they were just trying to figure out what to do. Um, you know, how do they how do they navigate school closures, testing, you know, the COVID testing, all of that stuff. And it was it was the type of learning that we want to see our kids do in classrooms. It was problem based, question based. It was urgent. It was meaningful. They wanted to learn more. They were constantly collaborating. That's really powerful learning. And, and those are the conditions that we all know are required for learning to happen. But even when I asked those school leaders afterwards, if that's what learning in their classrooms looked like, most of them were kind of honest. And they said, no, that's not what it looks like. It's, it's really doesn't have many of those conditions at all, right? So I think we have to articulate, well, what gets in the way? What are we doing that doesn't make a lot of sense? And some of those answers are pretty hard. Um, putting kids into age-grouped classrooms is not a great condition for learning. That's not how we learn in the real world. Um, limiting them to 50 or 60 or 80 minute time sessions, uh, just you know, taking out one 
subject at a time. None of those are really powerful conditions for, or are conditions for really great learning to happen. So I think, you know, we can't get rid of those right away. I get it because those are embedded in the ways that we think about the school experience. But I think we have to ask ourselves, well, what if we didn't do those things? What could we do differently, right? What if we didn't put kids in same age groupings? What if we didn't do just one class, one subject per class and all of those things, right? And I think that the schools that are having those conversations and are willing to say, okay, I know we can't turn those things over overnight, but what do we want our classrooms to look like in 10 years? If we could create the ideal classroom conditions in 10 years, what would they be? And then let's map that path backwards to now, see where the gaps are, and let's start working in those gaps to really begin to live what we say we believe about learning, but in many cases don't do in classrooms. Let's unpack that a little bit more because that's an intriguing thought uh, in terms of what the roadmap might look like and that notion of beliefs and practices and interrogating the why, as you just talked about with what school looks like today. Um, I'm thinking particularly because I'm sitting in a university that has a teacher preparation program as well as school leadership preparation program. So I'm thinking about the folks that are already out there doing those day-to-day -day things, as well as those who are preparing to step into those roles. Talk for us, you know, a bit about that roadmap and how that parallel track with folks that are in the moment already doing it, as well as people who are getting ready to step into that might look. The good news is that I think a lot more schools are trying to figure out how to create situations where kids can do more agentic learning, where they have more agency, they have more choice, they have more real freedom to pursue what they want to learn on their own terms, and then to have the adults in the room kind of fill in and support and question and probe and do all those things that deepen that experience for them, right? And and so that's good. I think that uh, we, we're seeing a lot, a lot more uh, opportunities for kids um, to, to really go in their own direction. But the problem is, is that many of those are kind of special programs on the edges, right? So we have experiential learning programs where you'll get two or three teachers who are really committed to um, making, you know, making Piaget live in the classroom where learning is a consequence of experience, where the kids are actually doing things, they're going out in the community, they're solving real community problems, they're apprenticing, they're doing all those types of things. Um, but then the rest of the school is still kind of traditional in terms of, you know, you got to go through this, you got to get through the curriculum, you have to pass the test. And 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 teachers, I think, are trying. I mean, I, I think that I, I don't want to throw teachers under the bus here because they're up against a whole bunch of obstacles when it comes to moving into those types of pedagogies and those types of environments. Um, but but I think that that, again, in many places, there is no coherent vision for what they want it to look like as a school, as a community. I don't think they've had the conversations. You know, I go back, I say this all the time. I taught 22 years in a local high school here, high performing school, blue ribbon school in New Jersey, right? I can't remember ever having a, a like a day or two to sit down with faculty members and just go, well, what do we mean when we say learning? You know, what do we mean? And what does it really look like in our lives? And then how do we replicate those conditions in our classrooms? You know, you know, I, I watched my own kids, as I said before, go from first block and have to figure out what learning looked in that classroom, then go to second block, have to figure it out all over again, because there was this, there wasn't this coherent narrative, or there wasn't this thread, this through line in their experience where everyone was kind of building on the same 
understanding of how learning happens and what it needs to look like in classroom. So it's a really, it's a, again, one of these kind of in-between moments, I think, yes. where we're starting to realize, and I think the pandemic accentuated this, actually. We're starting to realize that a lot of what we do in schools really is not supportive of the way humans learn, but we're not quite sure how to change a lot of those traditions and stories and embedded narratives around what school is supposed to look like um, and move it to another place. Uh, let me, I'll just finish by saying what we're seeing now is actually a lot of schools just popping up on the edges that are really different that are going about things very differently and, and basically leaving the traditional systems and narratives and practices behind. They're going gradeless. They're, they're not, they're not um, uh, organizing by age. Uh, it really is about deep student-driven, project-based, inquiry-based learning with teachers more as supports for that and connectors around that than it is about standing up and going, you have to read this on this particular day so you can take this particular test and get to this particular grade and go, you know what I'm saying, and go through that whole process. Now they haven't they haven't overwhelmed the traditional system yet, but there are there there were a lot of parents in the pandemic who looked at what their kids were doing in schools and said, I'm not sure that I really want them to be in these environments. And oh look, there's something new over here. This looks really interesting. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot more of that happening as we move forward. In that most recent uh, piece that you put out that where you described this, uh, I think you call it a framework for reconciling our practices with what we know we ought to be doing. One of the things you talk about that I, I found really interesting, I think it was the first part, was the need to help your community, the community surrounding the school, the community that pays for the school, uh, understand that things can't look the way they've always looked, uh, that we need to uh, embrace a different, a different approach. And what we're finding as we meet with our folks in the last, over the last year, particularly, is this, got, this has become even harder, harder because people have been polarized. There are, you know, the, the debates over masking, uh, debates over properly teaching issues of sure. racial equity. Uh, and so uh, here at, at Oakland, we've launched something we're calling a civility project. But I know, Will, you must wrestle with this whole issue of how do we bring a community along? How do you overcome these uh, very troubling, uh, polarizing times that we're in? So what, what, what advice do you have? Uh, how might we deal with this in a constructive and positive way? Well, I think it's it's an ongoing capacity building plan. Um, it's it's something that we have to just embed in our practice on a regular basis as school leaders or as as just people in school, teachers as well. I think it's it's things like um, exhibitions of student work during the year for the community, open exhibitions where kids are you know showing the types of interesting learning that they're doing and describing it and talking about why it matters to them. Um, I think it's making sure that parents know at least, or the community knows at least, there are things like Mastery, the Mastery Transcript Consortium that's out there right now that is moving into lots of schools and really taking a look at why grades don't make a lot of sense and that you can get into college without grades that you can actually you know, find a path forward into higher education without necessarily jumping through those hoops and, and all of those things that make school a game. I think it's constantly sharing news articles about things that are happening in the world about, um, and, and then contextualizing those things in, the, in terms of education. What does this mean? 
Um, you know, I, I see things every day where I want to go on Twitter and I want to post it and I just want to ask the questions, are we teaching our kids this? Um, and in most cases, we're not. Now, I think, to be honest with you, I think it's one of the most important jobs for leadership teams right now is to figure out a capacity building strategy for the community to understand a different narrative, a different story about the experience of school for their kids, because, you know, you mentioned how does school, how, do, how are kids going to thrive in the future? They're not going to thrive in the future if they continue to live the current story. They're not. And by the way, there's another whole layer to this that gets even more complicated, but I think is equally urgent. And that is, it's not just about our kids in our schools. It's it's about the world now, right? This is this is not something that is limited to local conversations and local, you know, local problem solving. This is now how are we how do we all see ourselves as a part of the much larger kind of living system that is on this planet that is under duress right now. Now, I know, you know, a lot of people have a struggle even having that conversation in the community. But I think more and more communities are waking up and going, yeah, we have a climate problem right now, <laughs> you know, because they're being impacted by the climate problem. Well, and and I think what you're saying is that, you know, we, we, we used to refer to this as reclaiming the agenda. Uh, I think some school leaders have just unfortunately in the face of all this stuff sort of hunkered down and yeah. keep their head down and hope, well, hope the politics will pass. And what you're suggesting is, no, we, can, we have a story to tell and it's a good story. Right. Yeah, we need to find ways to show people what we're trying to accomplish. But we have to do it over time. It has to be continual, right? It can't be just a one-off event where we say, oh, the world is changing. Here, listen to this speaker. And then nothing really you know, follows up from that. And let me just say, too, I mean, one of the, one of the real challenges for schools right now is that um, schools have become pretty much, um, they, they're, they're for the private good. We have developed a school system that really is now about the individual. It's about how does this individual succeed at the highest level, get into the best college, get the best job, make the most money. Whereas that's not going to, we're not going to get into a future if we continue down that path. Schools have to be places now for literally the public community good, where we frame our work in the context that says uh, we are part of a much larger system here. It can't be about me. It has to be about we. And it really has to change in terms of what we teach, how we teach it, the experiences we provide for kids, and the conversations we have in an ongoing way with the people in our communities. Um, you know, we're, we're facing a lot of challenges right now in the world. We're not going to solve any of them without education. They're not going to be solved unless we, unless we really begin to understand a different way of thinking about what it means today to be educated. It's not the same as it was, certainly not the same as it was 50 years ago. Arguably, it's not the same as it was five years ago. And so until we begin to engage in those conversations and begin then to audit our practices in, you know, in light of those conversations, um, I think that we're going to be in some, some real challenge and hardship. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be in challenge and hardship anyway <laughs> in the short term. And I think we have to just admit that. And that's, that's a truth that we're going to have to accept. 
But I think we can mitigate that and improve it and, and really contribute to the solutions if we think about education differently. And really, the way you framed this in the last five minutes is really, really worth recapturing. I hope, hope my notes do justice. Uh, you know, I want to go back for a second in response to Suzanne's question about a shopping list for going back to school. And was there a shopping list for going back to learning? <laughs> um, you like turning a phrase. And what occurred to me at the time was, you were, you were talking about a, a return list, the stuff we want to take back to the store. <laughs> it's a, and then, as Will yeah, was talking, right. I think, wait a minute, these are the returns. This is the stuff you line right. up at the right. returns counter to get rid of some of right. these things. So, or you leave see. it for the Amazon delivery person. There you <laughs> so, go, right? Well, one of the things that struck me on your website uh, was that, uh, I don't think you've done this before, is you've listed uh, you prepared a list of 10 books that should be read by school leaders that you hope would be read by school leaders and people can access that if they want to. But what are a couple of them, Will, that you, you would hope that people listening today to this conversation would say, yeah, I'm going to get out there and order this one right now? Well, I would suggest two if you are, if you are um, courageous and entering these conversations, right? I mean, if you really are serious about getting into this space and grappling with the challenges and the context that we have right now and the thinking about education, then there are, are two books at the top of my list. One is by Margaret Wheatley. It's uh, titled, Who Do We Choose to Be? Um, and it is a powerful uh, question that she asks of leaders, of people in communities. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's just straight out. She basically says at the beginning that we are not going to be able to overcome um, some of the uh, climate challenges that face us. And so now the question becomes, how do we create spaces where humaneness or humanness, I should say, and joy and hope sustain, even in what she calls islands of sanity, which I love that metaphor. Um, and that's the work of leaders today. Um, how, do we, how do we lead in our communities at a time of very, very deep difficulty uh, and, and really center being good humans and um, interacting with one another with a spirit of, of you know, joy and hope, because we can still do that. But understanding that uh, the uh, the larger problems may be unsolvable, which is a, you know, I, I said, if you really want to get challenged, if you're really courageous, read that one. Um, uh, Who Do We Choose to Be by Mar Wheatley. Margaret Wheatley. Margaret Wheatley, yeah. Is this, a, this our old friend Meg Wheatley? Meg Wheatley, yes, it is. And um, it's, it's just a brilliant book. In fact, we're starting a, a book club in our BQI community tonight over the next six weeks on that, on our next uh, two and a half months on that. She was one of the old uh, the old Galileo prime books during the Galileo Academy. Was that one of them? Yeah, but not this one. This was uh, one of her earlier books. But... Yeah, so this was pre-pandemic, but um, okay. still has a lot of resonance. The other one is a book by a gentleman by the name of Zach Stein, and it is titled Educating in a Time Between Worlds. And um, basically what he um, what he his thesis is that we are in a quote unquote world system transition and that uh, what that does for education is it brings up an almost, and this is a quote, almost unimaginable design challenge um, in terms of how do we create an education for humanity at a moment of, of huge, huge shift. And to be honest, uh, we have used that design challenge quote. We have pretty much hung our practice on at BQI on that quote. 
Um, we are deeply into uh, design, strategic design. We're helping schools move away from strategic planning to strategic design. Instead, uh, we are really thinking about how do we have how do we create the skills, literacy, and dispositions of designers in this moment uh, when we approach the conversations that we have around uh, of sc in schools and our practice and our environments. And um, you know, there's just so much. I, I've uh, the last six months for me has been um, just fascinating to find some future designers. They're called <laughs> archaeologists of the future. That's kind of what they call themselves. And it really is trying to say, okay, if we're in this world tra system transition and we, if we have this design challenge, then can we transport ourselves like 30, 40 years into the future and look into schools and, and see what are the things that are happening there that we, that, that, that are good or bad, but then actually create those artifacts and bring them back into the present and say, okay, what does this mean? How did we get to this point? What were the good things about this? What were the challenges about this? What, what happened? because of these things. And it's kind of it's kind of hard to describe without actually doing it. Um, but um, it is a way for people, I think, and, and a lot of research is showing that as powerful as story and narrative is when it comes to beginning to think differently or, or to kind of change the script, even more powerful is actually holding an artifact in your hand and manipulating it and looking at it and thinking about it. And so these the, the these people who are creating these design fictions, they're called, which is is just really fascinating to me. Um, that's what they're doing. They're saying, okay, here's an artifact from the future. What is how did we get there? How do we get there if it's something that we want to have happen? And it it causes us to really think hard about um is our work in the present getting us toward this kind of future, aspirational future, perhaps, that we want to get to? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's where that both of those books are, are very provocative when it comes to thinking about what do we do now? Um, Meg's book is about how do we take this particular moment and make the best of it in a, in a sense. Zach's book is how do we take this particular moment and aspire to something that uh, really is different and then begin to think about pathways to getting there. So I see a book study coming. <laughs> as early as this evening. <laughs> as we draw to a close, Will, um, it's interesting that notion of archeologists. Um, yeah. and, and I'm thinking about a term we've used here for school leaders as architects of the future. It seems like both roles need yeah. to connect, intersect, because that notion of holding something in your hand uh, is such a resonant one of how do we get there from here. So any last words of advice, because those that are listening to this podcast might be rolling over in bed at 2 a.m. in the morning <laughs> uh, thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm getting my Indiana Jones backpack out. Yeah, uh, there you go or I'm going back to the future, depending on your favorite movies and metaphors, but very seriously, what what other pieces of advice, because you've talked about a very <laughs> courageous set of um, steps, a roadmap that requires 
both that whole notion of being coherent, but also being, uh, I love the word you used earlier, agentic. Um, there needs to be a lot of agency on the part of school leaders in order for there to be a lot of agency for teachers and their students. So what might be the final thoughts? Well, let me just say that uh, those two books are not a cure for insomnia. So if you're waking <laughs> up in the middle of the night, you probably don't want to read those in the middle of the night. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that leaders right now, um, you know, we we use we kind of use this, this word radical quite a bit too. And I think that leaders have to engage in radical truth telling right now. That's number one. Um, I, I think that we have to just be deeply honest about what's working and what isn't working in schools in the context of how we understand learning and human beings um, and, and acknowledge those things. Uh, it doesn't mean that we have to change them right away, um, but we, we have to begin to just say, look, let's be honest here. Um, these things stand in the way of learning. And somehow we have to figure out some ways to not do those things any longer. Um, similarly, these things stand in the way of creating the society in the world that we want. And we have to stop doing those things um, as well. So I think that's that's number one. And then the second thing is, I think, as, as much as is possible to engage students, teachers, parents, community members, in, in just these ongoing conversations, just just bring people together in groups and ask a question, you know, like ask that question, what is learning? Just to have that conversation. I mean, we have we have nine questions you can ask, right? In our book, uh, with it's actually going to be eleven um, in the next oh. edition. But you know, like what what is success? Let's just talk about that. What does success mean right now for this community? Um, and see what comes out. And 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 be transparent about those conversations and really try to use them as ways of of uh, again building capacity in in their communities. Well, that's all excellent advice, and uh, we hope that our listeners will will tune into what you're doing. Uh, the website is very intuitive. Our when we put out the uh, the transcript of this, we'll include that. Um, I know you have a free book that's available, and then you've got a new service in terms of this reading. So. Uh, we encourage people to look at that. So, Will, thank you. Thank you for being our guest again today. Thank you for starting this year of podcast for Leaderful Schools. And listeners, thank you for uh, tuning in and staying with us. And we hope you will join us as we continue this conversation. Uh, what is it we should be teaching? And what is it we need to know about how teaching and learning needs to take place in ways that Will, will Richardson would applaud? Because hes I've been hearing him say this stuff for a long time. And you know what? He's right. So, so again, thanks to everybody and stay tuned for further installments of Podcasts for Leaderful Schools.